This episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by TimeSlipCharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. You can quickly enter, view, and analyze your runs from your phone or PC. Analyze your season, recognize trends, and catch your weaknesses quickly. TimeSlipCharts.com is a cloud-based logbook that you can use anytime to track your logs, get advanced stats, Use those analytics to improve your performance. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. It is episode number 27. It is the third week of Rocktober. You know it is. Um... Guys, girls, this weekend was rough. Uh, while all of you were out there racing, I was reliving the nightmare and uh, trying to figure out how much damage there was to the Red Dragon when I barrel rolled that thing down the track. Obviously, taking the restrictor plate off was a bad decision. Um, and let me tell you, a good buddy of mine was looking at it and he said, uh, Hey, Rex. Um, this would be a good time for you to turn this into a roadster. I'm absolutely serious. I didn't fight him, um, and I don't want to say anything, but you know I was upset. Um, furthermore, when the car went upside down, uh, it landed on that front roll bar where the roof and the windshield meet. Um, the car essentially went down the track on that bar. Uh, so assuming I hated myself enough to ever drive one of those roadsters, stupid things, I wouldn't have been safe and sound at all. Tucked nicely into my safety harness, witnessing the freshly prepped lanes upside down. Instead, I would have had an up-close-and-personal look at that glue from about three inches away. Um, it is is insane to me that in a door car you need those front bars sonic and gusseted to certify but in a roadster roadster that bar is a ghost and somehow it can cert stop the freaking madness already with those things um in either event after that emotional journey and a long talk with my friend about what is and is not appropriate uh to talk to me about I did what any self-respecting banker would do on Columbus Day, and I spent it taking new pipe to Jerry Haas's shop in Fenton, Missouri, to feed the addiction once more. Um, as I've always said, you can always sleep in the car, but you cannot race the house. All right. Um, we have a couple great guests to it this week, so let's get to it. We've got Jeff Taylor. He's a Division One top dragster standout. Um, we've also got Dan Ferguson, a former top sportsman champ and pro mod driver. I can't wait to have them on, so let's get to it. Get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Change the oil. Clean the shop. 
load into that rig and get to the track. Um, we're going to get our helmet strapped on. We're going to get strapped in because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put them in the water box. Uh, this weekend is No Mercy 10, the wildest event going um, down at SGMP, the small tire event um, hosted by Donald Long. I have never been to that. That truly is not my style. Um, I don't get down that way. Um, I'm a banker. You know, so the money I throw at this thing is plenty, in my opinion. But uh, what those guys do is insane in the greatest way possible. Uh, but say what you want uh, about those events, about all the hoodies, about all the flat bills, about all the people crowding that water box. But it is great for drag racing. It's great that it can be sustainable. It's great that it continues to pack the joint even on the starting line. Um, essentially, is there any better segment to ever talk about this than the water box? Um, there are lots of ways to get nice in this sport, um, and it all helps um, that we all have different ways to do that. Um, you know, for us, for us in top sportsmen and in top dragster, we can only hope that we would get the kind of pandemonium in our classes for one event that Donald Long gets for uh, both of his events. Nicely done to all of you, and good luck to all of you going down there on those little tires. Okay, let's put it in the beams, presented by thisisbracketracing.com. Our next guest, and I've, I've told you this before on the show, that they're racing gods are in play with some people and they spark the addiction uh, because our next guest won his first ever drag race he entered um, he won the divisional event in top dragster at cecil county earlier this year he's a heralded bracket racer and a guy who is running both top sportsman and top dragster as of this year welcome to the show from apache junction arizona jeff taylor jeff how are you today I'm all right. How are you, Rex? I am excellent. Thanks for asking. Um, but there is something that is not computing for me right now, Jeff. Um, you are in Apache Junction, Arizona, and if I get my map quest out, that is a long way from Division One. Uh, <laughs> I think it's how, about 2,500 miles from my brother's house. What in on earth? Uh, how does that happen? How does a guy from Arizona race in Division One all year long. So my brother lives in Pennsylvania, and what we do is uh, every year after the Spring Fling Million, we'll take everything back there, run the Spring Fling a lot, and then just go up to Pennsylvania and leave the cars there, and then I'll just fly back and forth. It's actually cheaper for me to do that than to drive 18 hours to Sonoma or, you know, it, the, the tracks out here are few and far between, so it ends up working out pretty good. So your brother ends up being the crew chief then? He uh, he manages the cars? When he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's real busy with work, and uh, you know, when, he, when he has time to, to do the things you know, on the cars, he does. But other times, me and, me and Dad got to fly in the day earlier and work our tails off and get everything ready to go. I got you. So Pennsylvania's home originally. That's where you grew up, right? 
uh, New Jersey is where I was born, but I moved out to Arizona when I was uh, two or three. Okay, all right. So how did you get how did you get started in this uh, in this crazy world of racing? Well, my dad um, he used to race at Atco all the time, and you know when I was a kid, I go back there every summer. He started racing heck when he got his license and uh he'd race anything he can get his hands on he had his camaro he uh raced my mom's celebrity and heck he even raced his dump truck that he had for work <laughs> i like it uh, he actually they were telling me a story one time that they uh, broke a push rod in the uh, camaro well they just stole a push rod out of the dump truck put it in the camaro raced it got down in the semis and when they were done they took the push rod back out Put it in the dump truck and drove home. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, that that's great. So you were around that growing up, and then uh, when did you get to give it a rip yourself for the first time? Well, I didn't. I didn't run juniors or nothing. Um, so when I got my license, we get our license at sixteen out here in Arizona. So once I once I got my license, I just took out the old work truck and you know, made twenty laps on it at the track, and then uh, I got my brother's hand me downs. We put a little 496 in the uh, in the hardtail dragster, and I went out there and got my license. And yeah, the first race I ever ever entered out here, and uh, which was at Speed World, which is closed down now here in, in Surprise, Arizona. It's about an hour from me. Okay. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to win, and uh, from there I was hooked. Man, that's all it takes. You know, you get one uh, one win, and then uh, it's in you from there on. Yeah, those uh those wins seem to be uh few and far between nowadays, but uh it's, uh it's a humbling sport as we all know. Yes. Well, you've stepped up the competition level though too. I mean, you're racing in Division 1 both um on the top dragster and now on the top sportsman side as well. So, tell us about those cars that you're wheeling. So, my top dragster is a 2010 American. Uh was done by by Chromeworks. I got a 598 aluminum Big block by uh, Brett Nesbitt. I got FTI, tranny, and converter. Mickey Thompson. Mickey Thompson tires. Um, it's uh, It's been a good car to me. It's actually my brother's car originally. And uh, I think you can you can see the trend here. I get the hand-me-downs, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> so, it's it's uh, good stuff, though. You know, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's no junk, that's for sure. The car the car definitely makes me look good most of the time. And then uh, Top Sportsman, I got a 2010 Cobalt. We bought it. Uh, about a year ago, and then uh, just just got it out beginning of this year. My dad drove it the first couple races, and then once we got it out on the East Coast, I uh, I got in it. You know, it's just something to get my feet wet for now. We got a new motor being built for it. The one that's in it now is just a 582, nothing special. I think it went like five O's in my dragster, and then uh, and then I just you know put a ton of ram and two cars and some nitrous on it and it runs uh runs 740s now so okay yeah and uh, uh it's a good car for sure and your dad and your brother are still racing so um be between the three of you how many cars you got <laughs> uh we have eight right now okay nice yeah we got um so i got Let's see. My yellow dragster. John's got his blue dragster. The purple car with a pro charger. I got my red and black car, which I'm putting a blower in this year. And then the uh, the hardtail car. It's 
been in our family for you know since John started driving. Uh-huh. And then we got the Cobalt, the fifty five, and my dad's got his forty eight Chevy pickup. That is a so we stay busy. Yeah, that uh, that's a full time job keeping that fleet um, maintenance. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Um. So, but you did. I mean, you you got that done, and you had a chance to win the division here, uh, Division One, and top dragster. Um, you were sitting in the driver's seat um, when you went to VMP. Uh, walk us through what you had to do in order to lock up uh, the divisional championship at VMP several weeks ago. All I had to do was win third round, and I got to third round, and just a bonehead move. I was. I was four take eight the round before, and I was feeling good. And the next round, I was 14. Get down there and kill, you know, eight or nine miles an hour, and I got behind two thou. So that uh, I had uh, one more race to claim after that, and that didn't go as planned either. So, so, so now, um, you know, let's call it a week ago. This time, you are you're sitting where you have one more divisional to claim and you have to improve upon a second round win to clinch. Is that right? Correct. Correct. All right. So what was the plan a week ago? And we're recording this, um, you know, on the 15th, uh, we'll release this on the 16th, but, um, let's, let's say the, uh, you know, the eighth or ninth of October, what, uh, what, what, what was the plan from there? Plan was to, uh, go get my car and, and head out to Rockingham and try to pick up a couple rounds there. But, um, you know, I was working all week and I got a, I got a text message from my buddy Mo Trujillo and he said, uh, Ted Weens has a car available if you want to drive it. Okay. I was, um, sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, it's, they'll send me a plane flight and they got good equipment. You know, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. If it's meant to be, you know, it doesn't matter where it's going to be at. Yeah, you can and, uh, you can ride a moped to the track from where you're at yeah. to uh, get the, as opposed to getting on a plane and hauling across yeah, the country. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. So um, went out there and you know me and the car just we didn't seem to want to work together. You know, it's uh, had a hard time hitting a tree in it, but um, and it just didn't work out. The uh, second I got the second round and uh, car next to me was nine total, and I wasn't. So I was, you know, pretty upset, but it definitely uh, lit a fire under my butt to go out there next year and take care of business early in the year and, you know, not have to stress for, you know, the last few races to try to get these points to take the lead. I like to just be in the lead and, you know, race stress-free. Right. Yeah, play from the lead, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that uh, yeah, that can be um, either devastating or inspiring when you come up just that much short. And I mean, just getting the read on you, Jeff. I I know exactly where you're falling out on that. Yeah, it's um, it was extremely extremely disappointing. But you know, it's I, I place it on myself. It's my own fault. I had every opportunity to take advantage of, you know. You know what was given to me, and and I didn't. So it's uh, definitely definitely gonna gonna change next year. I'm definitely ready to uh, to get after it early and uh, try to make a statement. 
Well, that that makes a lot of sense to me, and I and I I will tell you, it's it's what I like about uh, the, these classes so much. Certainly, there's a high level of technology and and plenty of horsepower that has to get managed, but at the end of the day, the driver has a lot of input, and um, sometimes you have to look yourself in the eye and say, hey, I, I need to be better. Um, but sometimes you can take some credit for uh, getting it done. And you did that most of the season, and and now I can tell you're, uh, you're zeroing in that much more. Um, I would not want to be in Division One next year um, and, uh, you know, looking at those plane flights and seeing – Jeff Taylor getting on getting on the flights coming at me. <laughs> well, we'll see. There's a lot of a lot of talented racers in Division One. That definitely they, they always give you a run for their money. So, uh, we'll see. I, mean, I got my brother. My brother's there, and you know he's he's no slouch for sure. When he gets on a roll, he definitely don't want to line up next to him. And you know you got Rick Bell, Al Miller, Carmen Malicella, Al Kenny. They're they're all all really good talented racers and. Uh, you got to be on your game all the time to, you know, to get by those guys. So it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be an easy task for sure, but we're going to, uh, we're going to drive uh, pissed off next year, I guess is the best way to, best way to put it. I get it. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I understand. And, and it is, there's, there's an incredible level of talent and competition um, across all these divisions and especially in division one. And, uh, so next year, then your plan is to go back, run, um, run Division One and Top Dragster again, and then also um, throw the Top Sportsman car out there as well. Yes, sir. I'm going to. Uh, so the plan is to start start out here at the beginning of the year. Probably do probably do Pomona, the Winter Nationals, just like last year. When my brother my brother actually won that last year. Okay. So it'd be cool to have a Taylor go back to back. From there, we'll do. Phoenix, possibly Vegas, and then uh, after that, we'll take everything back east. Hopefully, we got a, a decent run going already, and then once we, once we get to the uh, to the east coast, it'll be a be a little bit less pressure. Yeah, my my back is hurt hurts right now just thinking about making that drive cross country. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like um, a long time uh, in in the uh, in the rig, but. Uh, but well worth it to get there and uh, and let her rip once you once you finally get there, right? Yeah, I'd like to say I'm used to it by now, but there's no getting used to that. <laughs> it's a it's a rough drive, but you know, as long as everything gets there in one piece, it's uh, it's worth it. Yeah, no question. Um, now, Jeff, uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, I know you are going to be loaded for bear next year. Um, you know, congratulations on a great season, uh, even if it's not exactly where you wanted it to be um, at the end. But uh, Jeff Taylor, thanks for coming on. Um, you were fantastic. Thanks, Rex. I appreciate it. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. It's brought to you like it always is from Ed Harney. Um, you know by now that if you need someone you can trust, someone who is like you, a drag racer, and has the legal expertise you need to tune your high-horsepower legal life, you need to go to DragRaceLawyer.com and talk to Ed. All right, let's get to it. Let's start with the NHRA national event. 
um, out at Z-Max. Um, they ran the top dragster crew out there um, and battled some weather. Um, the top sportsman folks did not get to play. Um, but uh, after battling it out a little bit, Steve Furr goes number one. He's 6'11", 8", at 210 miles an hour. Uh, Larry Roberts had it in his grasp, but goes too fast at a 606. So slow down, Larry. Um, there were 28 cars entered, um, and your winner, uh, this is bracket racing instructor Kevin Brannon gets the win. He's uh, 13 on the tree. He's uh, 11th out under, pushing out a red hot Brooke Warren Foley. Um, my understanding is that's the first time she's been beaten in a month or so. Um, so congratulations to Kevin Brannon on your victory at Z-Max. All right, let's work our way west um, and stop in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the throwdown in T-Town, which was put on by the Midwest Pro Mod Series. Um, they competed both in the Outlaw Top Sportsman and Outlaw Top Dragster classes there. Your number one qualifier in Outlaw Top Sportsman like he's done essentially all year long, uh, is Mick Snyder. He goes a 386. Um, there were 13 cars that showed up in the bitter cold out there, um, and ultimately in the winner circle was Lance Abbott. He gets the victory over Mick Snyder, um, so congrats to Lance Abbott. But they also crowned their series point champion, and um, that – is ultimately Earl Falls, so he he doesn't get the win, but he gets the points championship. So congrats to Earl. He was on episode number three. Just goes to tell you, we always get the best on this show. Earl, congratulations. Um, he was incredible in episode number three, and we'll have to have him come on and tell us again about how he gets it done and becomes the Midwest Pro Mod Top Sportsman Champion. On the Outlaw Top Dragster side, your number one qualifier with his sidewinding pro charger is Joe Baxter. He goes a 383 um, for the top spot there. Uh, the bump was a 484. It was a full field. And Joe Baxter goes from pole position to winner circle. Um, he makes up for a rough start that uh, he had when he pulled in there um, for that weekend. And congrats to the first-ever U.S. Nationals champion, uh, Joe Baxter, on another nice win. Um, and then the series points champion is Dan Phelps. So congrats, congrats to Dan Phelps for getting that done on the outlaw top dragster side. Um, so that was the first year that the Midwest Pro, uh, Midwest Pro Mod Series has competed in top sportsman and top dragster. Um, and I thought it was very well done for those folks this year. Um, get out and support that if you can. It's eighth mile. It is excellent competition. Um, it is the one of the few times where top sportsman and top dragster become one of the main draws for the fans. They have pro mod, they have top sportsman, they have top dragster. So you get to be highlighted a little bit. Um, and then they let you uncork it. So anything after a th 366 is cool by them. Uh, so nicely done to all the competitors in Midwest uh, Pro Mod Series. Um, now, going west even farther, let's go out to 
Wild Horse, Arizona, um, the Division Seven event um, out in Phoenix, essentially. Uh, so your top sportsman event was highlighted by your number one qualifier, Brian Laflam. Uh, he's from Gilbert, not too far from there, in a 67 Mustang. He goes a 6.23.6. Easy does it for him at 231 miles an hour. There were 23 cars, but uh, they were laying on it. There were 14 cars in the sixes there. Um, and your winner was David Slayton over Monty Green when Monty Green uh, has a heartbreaker and goes 001 red. Um, that is Slatton's seventh top sportsman win. Uh, so congrats to David on that win in top sportsman. On the top dragster side, your number one qualifier was Shonda Rockman uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, she goes 613 with a zero at 230 miles an hour. There were 35 cars there, so the bump was a very quick 733. And uh, your winner, uh, Lindsay Meserve, over Gabrielle Henderson. Lindsay is dead on three for the win when Gabrielle runs off the dial. Nice win for Lindsay, and uh, I knew it know that she's a new listener to the show so congrats to her um and congrats to all of you competitors in top dragster out in division seven all right uh let's let's take a look at the divisional points leaders um in division six this week um so there are 43 competitors in division six that lined up this year to try to win the championship on the top sportsman side your number one points Get her right now is Joe Maloff. He's got 344 points, uh, claiming seven events. Uh, sitting number two is Don Sefton. He's at 313. Um, he's claimed five events. Um, number three spot is Sean Herbst at uh, 304. He's claimed uh, eight events at this time. He's He was on episode number 15 and was fantastic. We love Sean on the show here. Uh, Gary Mazerva is fourth at 248, um, claiming six. And then Craig uh, Blaisdell is 248, uh, claiming six as well. So we've got uh, essentially Joe sitting up top in the driver's seat. Don Sefton has a couple of events. It looks like he could chase uh, maybe and get there. Um, and then the fourth and fifth place battle uh, will be interesting to see who chases that and tries to move up the ladder a little bit there. On the top dragster side, there were 52 competitors this year in Division Six. Your number one points getter right now in your 2018 world champion was Paul Nero. He's got 377 points. He's claimed uh, eight events, and he was on episode number 12. Check that out if you get the opportunity. Uh, but number two is Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon is 344 points, so 33 points away. His only claimed six events has a chance uh, to knock off Paul Nero there. Ryan Carlson is number three at 268 points. Uh, number four is Nick Axman Jr., 248 and then Jeffrey Havens has 247 points so we will see if Mike Shannon can make a run um, and uh, knock off Paul Nero for the division six top dragster championship there are only uh, two events left Uh, Rockingham is next week and then Vegas um, the 64 qualified field on November 7th I will be there, um, so I'm excited to see how that shakes down, how that impacts championship uh, competition. 
Um, but uh, let me know if you uh, have a good deal on a place to stay. Um, I booked my room for SEMA, so I'm excited about that. But uh, I'm still uh, doing boarding arrangements for a couple of days, so holler at me if you know where I should be going. Um, on the PDRA side, um, they still have um, their world finals coming up this weekend. So just a couple things to think about and watch for going into this this weekend. In elite top sportsman, Scott Moore has 2,002 points. You get 500 points for a win. So he has locked that up as Tim Mulner in his gorgeous blue and black and silver first-gen Camaro um, sitting in second place has 1,421 points. So Scott Moore will be your elite top sportsman champion in the PDRA. On the regular 32 side, um, this will be interesting. Glenn Teets the third has 2,128 points. Chris Nigers is sitting number two at 2,066 points. So um, less than 100 points away, and again, you get 500 points for a win. So that could be interesting. Jeff Pittman and Buddy Perkinson both have outside shots of the title but would need some help. On uh, the elite top dragster side, Kellen Farmer in your um, is sitting at number one. He has seven or one hundred one thousand seven hundred sixty six points. He was on episode number one. Uh, he might run this thing um, all the way from the front, all the way to the back on the Fast Brackets podcast. If he wins this thing, he will start the year and potentially end the year. But Brian Bedner, the Bendar, is trying to upset that apple cart and um, and knock off Kellen Farmer. Um, he was on episode number 11, so uh, certainly understand where he comes from. Um, he's got 1,628 points. So, again, you know, less than 150 points away. Um, we've got uh, 500 points up for grabs for the win. A lot could happen between Kellen Farmer and Brian Bedner. Now, Nick Hamilton and Jody Stroud with the zombie car need a little help, but are both within striking distance. And then on the top dragster, regular 32 side, Kimberly Messer has just ran away with this thing, um, is holding the title and hiding from everyone. So congrats to Kimberly Messer for winning the top dragster regular 32 championship on the pdra side all right next week guys girls we will cover the nhra division two event at rockingham we will cover the nhra national event at houston for the top sportsmen guys and girls uh pdra like i mentioned has their world finals at virginia motorsport park coming up and we will continue to get you caught up on all the point standings in nhra division seven Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for just one second. Not too far, but just a little bit out of the groove. On the line now with us is your 2014 PDRA Top Sportsman National Champion. He's also your 2016 PDRA Top Sportsman National Champion, and he was runner-up in 2015. He's was the first Top Sportsman car to go in the 370s in top sportsman trim and he's a current pro mod driver for hire online with us now dan ferguson dan welcome to the show it's great to be here it's great to still be involved and uh have a little interview with you here and be involved in the sports so i'm still even though i'm not racing too much right now it's cool 
Well, you took a little bit of a hiatus at what was an incredible run through the uh, top sportsman ranks. Um, but why don't you take us back just a little bit and, and talk about how you got started in the sport? Well, what really got me into it was uh, I dated a girl when I was 17 who was friends with these guys that ran IHRA top sportsmen like all through the 90s and the 2000s. Like basically what everybody talks about is the glory days. And I kind of missed all that. And they had slowed down by the time I started running with them. But uh, I lived in a Pennsylvania at the time and went to a lot of like top sportsmen, top dragster, quick 16 type races with them in the Pennsylvania and Ohio areas like 2009 through 2011 and i was just totally in love with fast door cars in particular and nitrous and all that stuff yeah that's uh well you got in um at the right time or you know after the glory days so to speak and then but with a good group of guys i mean talk about the people that really influenced you um as you were starting out my biggest influences in the beginning was uh definitely ron solian for sure who he owns a a 68 Nova called the animal that a lot of people used to know it was around forever. And uh, of course his son, Jeff Solian, who drove it, who later built the firebird that I later bought. And uh, also Jimmy Colbrick who drove the animal for several years before that. But uh, those guys were for sure my biggest influences in the beginning. That's who I went racing with locally. And I started learning about those type of cars and they like, taught me all about the history of top sportsmen from their perspective and their experiences and i just thought it was really cool and really interesting and i liked bracket racing i had done some bracket racing with my street car just messing around with it and stuff and uh that stuff just really sucked me in i really wanted to do it and didn't think i ever could and then uh some stuff became possible in 2011 and uh, Jeff Solian ended up selling me his Firebird rolling chassis and a 565 big block Chevy for, for a pretty good price. And I just kind of ran with it from that point. And what what year was that Firebird? It was the, the green Firebird, correct? Correct. He built it in 1999. It was a Tim McAmis chassis kit. To, I mean, it started out as a home-built car, and uh, it was always updated and modified by us and stuff, so everything it ever accomplished was done by the guys that were running it. So that was one of the things that was pretty cool about it. Yeah. I mean, you did all the work on that, right. And, uh, when it needed chassis updates, you did all that stuff on the car. Yeah, it was a good car when I got it, but at the time that it was built, you know, mid sevens in the quarter mile and, you know, mid fours in the eighth mile, that was what you needed to run. And Jeff ended up running like four forties and six nineties with it, with the five sixty five and went towards the end of his racing in uh 07 08 that stuff was getting it was getting tough to qualify back then in ihra with those kind of ets so he went on hiatus and then when i bought it of course it was uh you know it needed to run a lot faster so we had to do some work to the chassis accordingly and i did that stuff myself for the most part with some help from guys like Quain stott and my good buddy marty nor and stuff and we just basically made it more like a pro mod chassis. Yeah, because you were starting to put some serious power to it then. Um, and talk us through a little bit. Um, you made that run in 14, so you win your first national championship then, uh, come back in 15 and almost get it done, runner-up, and then and then get the win again in 16. 
but that car didn't seem like it was the same car every year. It's almost like you were starting fresh with a new car each year. Is that right? I was. I mean, in in the fall of 2011, when I first got it out, it was exactly how Jeff ran it. Same motor, chassis was all the same, and all that stuff. And then in uh, 13, I had a chance to guy to buy a Buck 706 for a really good deal, so I sold that 565, and I took off like the second half of 2012 and all of 2013 to do that. And uh, I went to the fall race at Rockingham for ADRL, tried to qualify. When it come to running fast, I didn't even have a race pack, and I really didn't know what I was doing and stuff. But we were in a 438 and didn't qualify. Then I had a chance to sell that motor, which it was a good motor, but I had a chance to sell it for more than I bought it for, and I had a chance to buy a better motor for less than I sold that one for. So I did some wheeling and dealing and got a bigger motor and got a race pack and stuff. And that That's the equivalent of winning the lottery in drag racing. You know that, Dan, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did that stuff a few times. That's what helped me move up. But in the off season, I put double frame rails in it and added a lot of bars in the mid plate structure and stuff like that. And uh, it was a different car between the stuff we did to the chassis and between the knowledge I gained that off season. We came out in fourteen, and it was a different car. Yeah, because but, uh, when... go ahead. Well, because you've every year you you put a different power plant in that thing, right? and went really higher up in the power levels, which changes the tuning window completely? Yeah, not only that, uh, the thing, it still had a lot of body roll and stuff, even with the double frame rails. And, like, you know, through the 2014 season, I learned how much the back end of the car had to do with that type of stuff. And that car didn't have a lot going on in the back of it, and it had a small anti-roll bar. So the winter of 14 and 15, we added a couple X's and a lot of other bars and gussets in the back end of it along with a bigger anti-roll bar and bigger four-link bars. and It came out in 15, and it was just a totally different car. Like If you go back and watch videos of it now from one year to the other, it's in 14, it's like all torqued up with the left front real high and stuff, and just not smooth at all and violent. And in 15, it was a different animal. And we ended up going from like 101 and 102 60 foot to 960s and 970s and then we're running 406 and 407 and it's just a whole different car basically from not spending much money but just working on it yeah but yeah had to come out in 2015 and relearn what it wanted for power management and all that stuff so it was kind of like having a different car right and was 2015 was that the year you went to the the 959 was that with the No, that wasn't until seventeen. Seventeen, okay. It was the it was the end of fifteen, the very last race after I crashed the Firebird at Norwalk that we came out with my buddy Dale Pittman's sixty three Corvette with the nine oh three in it. Okay. Um yeah, so you you went big though in seventeen, right? I mean nine oh three was big and it still is big for these classes, but um but you went with a nine fifty nine, which I mean essentially a pro mod motor, right? Yeah, it was. It was a it was a brand new state of the art pro nitrous motor at that time. But uh, I mean, that really wasn't by my choice. It was just an opportunity I had, and you know, it would have been the best car and best motor, basically the best equipment I ever had. So I wasn't, I didn't turn it down. You know, and the guy that owned it seemed pretty cool and stuff. So I just we ended up joining forces for that year, and that's what we came out with. Yeah, um, and but the last motor that was yours was the nine hundred three. Is that where I got that? No, the the last motor I owned was my 765. That okay. 903 belonged to uh, my friend Dale Pittman. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. And is that what you'll go back to? Because I know you're working on something, right? You've you've got a plan to get back into this thing. You've took a little bit of time off, but now you're uh, making a plan to get back into it. Yeah, I have some things in motion that I'm uh, I'm really just waiting till this spring to get going on. But uh, I've done a lot of debating actually on whether I would want to come back with a five inch motor or a bigger motor because. Uh, I've given a lot of thought to, you know, am I better off to run some top sportsman and not try and chase points and travel all over the country, but be able to go hit some of the slower local quick gates, or do I want to get a smaller motor and travel around? And, you know, the operating costs will kind of cross over with the travel costs at some point in time. But, but yeah. uh, no doubt. I don't know. And- I mean, you could get a five inch motor that's pretty cheap to operate and you'd be able to qualify anywhere with it. Yeah. Yeah, most places, and, right? Uh, um, Division three is uh, stepping up quite a bit, but um, but even there, a five inch motor, right, will get you in, or at least we. Yeah, it would so. definitely get you in, especially if you know you're good on power management and the nitrous tune up and stuff like that. I think it'd be plenty of motor for any NHRA races for at least some years to come. Yeah, well. Um, we we've had some discussion and you're i think an interesting uh, person to weigh in on this so you you were one of the first people to have a 903 in the class you were one of the first people to have a 959 in the class now it's you know coming along there's a lot of people doing that now but are you in favor of uh putting weight on guys that uh, have these ultra huge cubic inch motors um and letting some you know, 484 guys hang around a little bit, or what are your thoughts on that? Because you were ahead of the curve a little bit on that. Yeah, I was just there because opportunities I had, not necessarily because it was what I wanted. But uh, I don't know, man, that's a really tough situation. It seems like the ship has already sailed, but in years past, before so many people had these big motors and light cars and stuff, I would have been all for, like, you know, some kind of rough ground rules to keep things reasonable. But uh, one problem now is the same guys that have the big motors are the same guys that have the light car, and then you end up with a couple hundred pounds of ballast in a car, and that's really not safe either. And I don't know, man. It's a tough situation. I don't think everybody having huge motors and stuff is best for the sport, but some of these motors are down in the 35, 45 grand range now too. It's just it's a complex situation. Agreed, and I have fallen on the side of it of saying um, if you want to throw nitrous at a turbo motor and it, you want to build a 900 cubic inch turbo motor and throw nitrous on the top of it, go for it. Um, you know, it's still a bracket race at the end of the day, but I, I would listen to the other side of the argument as well. Um, and you know, what do you think about that? What do you think about the time when we have um, you know pro mod motors? essentially everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I just don't have the answer. I'm not saying I want everybody to have big motors and pro mod motors and stuff, but I, I do want it to remain somewhat of a struggle to qualify and somehow retain, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that piqued my interest in the class was that it meant something to be in it. Yes. But that's a it's a tough crossover with where it means something to get into it or just means whoever had the most money got into it. You know, I don't know how to find a happy medium on that, but that's, that's kind of what it needs. 
Yeah, and I think part of um, you know my thought process is I don't want ballast everywhere. Um, I I don't think that's what those cars um, really should have. I mean, I I think uh, the lighter the better in a in a lot of ways. But uh, but yeah, there there has to be some middle ground, and I am not envious of the NHRA folks at all. Um, and we'll see we'll see if everybody steps up for next year or if. Um, folks decide to go to other divisions and pick and choose their races a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's what will end up happening. NHRA is probably not going to want to put a whole lot of time into rules and time into enforcing them and stuff. And there's definitely places to go if you, you know, if you can't run with the PDRA or if you can't run with Division Three. There's other stuff to do. But yeah, Division Three, they've had it easy for a long time, I think, because. Back in 05 or 06 at the World Nationals, there was like 96 cars or 105 cars, and the bump was a 695 on a 48-car field. And I don't know offhand what number 32 ran, but I'm sure it was probably pretty fast. It's probably 680-something anyhow. And here we are 15 years later, and they just set a record bump at a 665. So to have only picked up a couple tenths in that many years, I would say it uh, it could have been a lot rougher on them in the past 15 years than it was. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, um, in general terms, if we're if we're looking at all the other classes, if we're looking at uh, pro stock, pro mod, certainly any of the small tire classes, to pick up only um, you know a tenth and a half over the last 15 years is probably not that staggering. Yeah, a lot of them have picked up. A lot of classes have picked up four and five tenths since two thousand five, two thousand six. Right. Yeah. There's no doubt. Well, given that, um, given the fact that you know it is getting quicker, there are going to have to be some decisions to be made. Tell us about what's going to happen for you next year. I know you've got some plans, and uh, that includes crew chiefing a little bit as well. Yeah, I'm going to be working on my girlfriend's car and helping her run it, and I've worked for a couple other pro mod guys that race part-time here and there and uh basically other than that i'm just going to be working at my shop and working on my race car and i'd like to bring it out in the spring of 2021 okay and what class is your girlfriend running she's running in top dragster okay all right and um and then you're going to put your firebird back together and um and get it out for next year or the following I'm not sure on the Firebird, man. I got something else in the works, and I hate to not bring the Firebird back out, but this other thing is pretty good, and it, I just can't do both. So I'm not sure if I'm going to sell it or if I'm going to leave it on the back burner. But I'm going to say probably nothing's really going to be happening with it for a while as far as fixing it and bringing it back out. I get it. I'm in a very similar spot. I have a sentimental value with uh, with a, a car that um, you know needs some serious work over the next little bit to get it back on the track. Exactly, so. that's where I'm at with that Firebird. It's really sentimental to me. And uh, yeah, we know that uh, sentiment is not a great thing in in uh, a lot of parts of life, truthfully, but certainly not drag racing. But uh, yeah, what are we going to do? We are only human, right? Yeah. Anybody who's smart at business says don't be sentimental, but there's uh, certain things where it's hard not to be sometimes. Yeah. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on. Um, that was, that was good stuff, um, from the champ. And, uh, and I know that, uh, a lot of us can't wait to see you back out there. Thanks for coming on and 
don't we'll have you back again to talk about uh you know new and exciting stuff in the world of top sportsmen hey i appreciate it rex great show you've had and uh, i'm looking forward to listening to more of your episodes and i appreciate you inviting me to be on one of them yeah thanks hey that was the champ dan ferguson As we hit the mile-per-hour cone, I want to take a minute and say congrats to Stevie Fast Jackson for winning the ProMod World Championship. Um, I don't follow ProMod as much as I would like. Uh, Life gets in the way, makes me spend my time other ways. But I know this. I know that dude works his butt off and has, by all accounts, earned every opportunity that he has. And in addition... My man has a rap that Ric Flair can be proud of. Um, So congrats to Stevie Fast. Long live the Gap Band. And congrats to your new world champ in the Pro Mod division. All right, let's bring it back in and take the stripe. Uh, Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 27 as we cross the finish line. There it is. There's the wind light. Um, And producer Rob, right on cue, is playing Gloria. You know, episode 9 has all the magic about Gloria, so catch up on that if you need to. Um, Thanks to our fantastic guests jeff taylor and dan ferguson for coming on they were fantastic next week we'll get results points updates and as always the best drivers and tech talk also i'm going to tell you next week what you should go for as halloween i have a gift for being the best halloween dresser of all time i'm going to impart some wisdom um always as always tell your like-minded fast bracket friends about the show you can subscribe on soundcloud or that purple itunes podcast app get the word out and welcome them to fast brackets nation i hope you enjoyed it keep the rubber side down and travel safe This episode of the Fast Brackets podcast was brought to you by timeslipcharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. You can quickly enter, view, and analyze your runs from your phone or PC. You can analyze your season, recognize trends, and catch your weaknesses quickly. Timeslipcharts.com is a cloud-based logbook that you can use anytime to track your logs, get advanced stats, and use those analytics to improve your performance. Go check them out at timeslipcharts.com. Rob, I was thinking about what you said last week, and I agree. I think you are absolutely right. I am getting better looking. (laughs) See, I knew you'd see it my way.